So today, we are in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And our very first word, so. So what? Right? Um, uh, we need to know the context here. What is Paul talking about? So we know where he's going. So if we go back a paragraph uh, to chapter 1 in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is calling them to live a life worthy of that calling, uh, and by being one, right? So showing that um, by their unity, right? And the purpose of that unity we see right, in verse 28, not frightened of anything by your opponents, but this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So our unity is a sign to those who are perishing that they might grasp on to what we have, right? Christ, that they might come to know him um, and receive that same salvation. And this unity must also endure. We see here, for it, is, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So our unity through suffering will be a sign the nations of what they can have, right? If they just accept it, this free gift. So that is the so, right? We continue on then in uh, chapter two, where Paul's going to give us a little mirror of four ennies and four one minds. We see, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, is there any encouragement in Christ? Yes, of course, right? Um, uh, we know, right, that regardless of what this life throws at us, we have peace in Christ, and we can take heart, for he has overcome the world. Is there any comfort from love? Yes, of course, right? If you've been in love, you know this. And if you have experienced Christ's perfect love, you know that his love covers a multitude of sins Right, that uh, his love is right, what led him to us, right, to come down and be that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Oh, yeah, right? We have that Spirit of God. He comes and lives in us, right? So it's by that Spirit, we have a Spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. So, of course, there's right? Participation in the Spirit. Any affection and sympathy? I sure hope so, right? right? Christ encourages it and even commands it, right? To love one another as I have loved you. We show that affection and sympathy to one another. And for this, right? If those things are all true, which we have answered in the affirmative, then... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right? This is uh, what Paul is asking of us, to have this same mind. And how do we have that same mind? Well, he's already given us a little idea of that. 
right? Through the encouragement of Christ, the comfort from love, we give each other that comfort when we love one another. It's through participation in the Spirit and showing affection and sympathy. And we see that really spelled out here. Do, not, uh, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. All right, we show that we have this one mind by serving one another. All of this seems really familiar, uh, not just because I preached it in first service, um, but in John 17, right, in the high priestly prayer of Christ, he prays for a lot of these same things, and we'll take a look at that. Right? Christ begins his prayer by glorifying God and leading into a prayer for his church. Starting in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And going down to verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Christ is praying for us, and a few things that he prays for. He prays right, for us to be kept in his name, and for us to be kept from the evil one. Right? We see in verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, I, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right? So we start to see this prayer of oneness that we saw in Philippians, but this idea of keeping them in your name and keeping them from the evil one, those two things are going to go hand in hand. Right? It's not enough that we are kept from the evil one, that we try to uh, turn away from temptation. Because if we're trying to turn away from temptation, like, okay, trying to block it off, stay away temptation, right? That's our focus. But when we turn to being kept in his name, when we're following after Christ, that kind of fades into the background and we pursue him, right? And that is how we are kept from the evil one. It's when we are pursuing Christ. And... In verse 13 here, um, he says, But now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Just as Paul is asking for us to complete his joy by being of one mind, Christ here is letting his joy be fulfilled in us. And there's two things we see in this verse. right? But now I am coming to you. Right? We have his joy because uh, Christ went to the Father, because he came from the Father. He lived the perfect life, died, and was bodily resurrected again. It is through that death and resurrection right, that we have this hope and peace and joy in Christ. And also, right, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled. We have his word, right? His holy word, the entire book here is his word. And this word is where we turn to for joy, for encouragement, right, for strength through suffering. So it's those things together that give us that, that same joy. 
and show us how to live as one, right, with one mind. He prays for us to be sanctified in the truth, right? Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What does it mean to be sanctified, right? To be sanctified is to be set apart, right? Set apart for God, make something holy. Um, And so we are uh, sanctified through the church, uh, through the word, right? The church is sanctified through his word, um, being washed in that word daily uh, and washing away all the gook and grime that this world throws at us. Um, we come to his word and are cleansed and find that peace and joy in him. But throughout this whole thing, he continues to pray that we be one. If we start in 20, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So again, we're called to this unity, is praying for our unity, and a unity beyond even our comprehension, the kind of unity that Christ has with the Father. There are two persons, yet one being, together with the Holy Spirit. So three persons, one God, the Trinity, a unity that we can't even wrap our heads around. That's the kind of unity that he's praying for us to receive, together as the church and with him. That is mind-boggling. And why, again, do we have this unity? As a sign that uh, the world may believe that right, the Father sent Christ, that they may turn to him and believe. This kind of unity is all throughout uh, Paul's messages, not just Philippians, but if we look in Ephesians, right, chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This amazing sense of, of unity. So, if we're all united, we all have one mind, does that mean we all do the exact same thing every step of the way? Probably not, right? So, there's two kinds of pictures of unity that I'm going to take a look at, and both come from the Summer Olympics, right? So, if you call uh, some of the events, there's synchronized divers, the synchronized divers do the exact same motion, right? They walk up the plank together, you know, or diving board, uh, and they bounce and do their jumps together and the flips together, and everything looks perfectly synchronized, right? So there's that kind of unity, which can get a little boring. And then there's the unity of synchronized swimmers. So synchronized swimmers are not doing the same thing all at the same time, right? But together, they make up 
almost what looks like one thing, but made up of several people all doing different tasks. So you've got the synchronized divers, you've got that picture of them all kind of diving into the music one after another, and it looks like this graceful wave of people diving into the water. You've got times where half the team is underwater pushing someone up out of the water, and they all have their part to play, but all toward that one same goal right, of putting on this amazing performance. Right, so the synchronized swimmers um, are more of the picture of unity that we're describing here. It's just that same idea of we are one body. We're not all the eye. We're all an eye, then how do we hear? Right? If we're all ears, then how do we speak? How do we serve? Right? We need hands and feet and eyes and ears and all those pieces working together in one mind, working right, through the mind of Christ to serve this world and to glorify God. So that is the kind of unity we're looking for. And it's not an easy thing. Again, if you think about those synchronized swimmers, they are putting in, you know, practice every day, eight, day, eight hours a day, right, swimming um, to get this down perfect, right, so that they look, are pulling off this, right, amazing thing every single time, right, and they follow that same kind of unity. Um, and the same is true for us. Right? We're going to have to practice at this unity. It's not going to come easy. Right? We don't one day say, yep, I'm on board, Jesus, you're my Lord. And then the very next day, all right, we're all of one mind, working together, no arguments, no nothing, um, no friction whatsoever. That's not how life works. Right? We've got to be sanctified in the truth, and that's an ongoing process for us. Right? We continue to work at it daily. Um, we get a little picture of this, too, right? In marriage, Christ calls us to be, right? The man and woman are bonded together as one flesh, right? And it is that same kind of unity uh, that mirrors that unity of God. Um, so as we work together in our marriage, right? Um, work through the, the occasional friction that comes here and there. Um, all on my part, right? Um, <laughs> but... Right, we work that out, you know, and uh, continue to enjoy the blessing of that, that unity together. So, just as right, the, the synchronized swimmers have their single goal that they're practicing towards, what is our goal that we have to practice towards? What command have we been given as a church? Right? Pretty sure we have a great command, a great commission even from God. If we go to Matthew 28, right? Um, let's start in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's our goal, right? That's the, the command that we have been given to right, make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them what he has commanded, right? What are his commandments? Well, there's the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? These are what we are to live out. Right? 
And that exactly is what it means, right, to kind of come back to this. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Right? Today we're talking about to live is Christ. Last week, Scott took us deeper into what it meant to, to die is gain. For me, that part is the easier one to wrap my head around because it's more of an, an equation and I'm very mathematical in my thinking. Gain, right? So I die and then I get more than I had before. Relatively simple for me to wrap my head around that part, but to live is Christ. That's a little too poetic for me. Right? I stay as far away from poetry as I can usually. Um, the book of Psalms, it's good for me, but it's hard. <laughs> right? That's one of the hardest one, books for me to, uh, to wrap my head around. And that is what we're seeing here with to live is Christ. We want to see exactly what does the life of Christ look like. And he tells us exactly what that looks like. Right? Um, in Mark chapter 9, the, the disciples are bickering about who's going to be the greatest among them. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That exactly describes Christ. He came and was servant to all, obedient to God unto death. And we see that, right, those who follow him carry up that same right, life. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So, we are to be servants of all, a very humbling thing to do. What is humility? I've heard a few definitions over the years, some that, I, that have stuck with me. Humility right, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Right? Your focus is on others and how you can serve them. Um, but also humility is having a right understanding of yourself. Um, so thinking of me, right? without Christ, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I am weak, blind, and naked. But with Christ, I'm clothed in righteousness. Uh, I am forgiven of all of my sins. I have a hope in a future with Christ. I have joy. And it is then in that perspective that we right, uh, can humbly follow his example. If we look in back to Philippians, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We already start to see that humility of Christ. So we see here, though he was in the form of God. Right? If you've heard me preach before, right, pretty much every sermon I give, I talk about how Jesus is God. He is fully God, 
fully man, worthy of all honor and praise. That's still true here, right? But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hmm, what exactly does that mean? Right, so he is equal with God, but he's not seeking that. He is not seeking that power and honor and glory that he is due, right? He has come with a different task as, our, as a servant to all, to save us all, right? And in that, too, he reveals right, and points out that initial sin that led us all to this, Adam and Eve's sin, right, in the garden. What exactly was going on there? Well, they thought they could be like God, knowing good and evil, right? They wanted to basically put themselves in that place of honor and power and glory. They tried to grasp it and lost everything because of it. One of those weird paradoxes, right? You seek life and you will lose it, but lose your life and you will find it. Continuing on in verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, you may have noticed my verse version said, but made himself nothing. Still the ESV, it's the 2007 text version. If you've got the 2016 text version, um, then it says he emptied himself. Personally, I like the 2007 a little better. Uh, made himself nothing versus emptied himself, because I've heard that uh, emptying himself used incorrectly before, uh, and some have the temptation to try and say that Christ removed the divinity from himself, which is total heresy, right? That's a <laughs> not a, what's happening here, right? Uh, he is taking on the form of man, becoming incarnate, he is still fully God, but, right, how humbling to then take on the form of your creation at the same time. Um, so, yeah, still fully God and fully man. If you hear any preacher say otherwise, stop listening to them, please. Okay? Um, Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, obedient here, he is obedient to the Father. Right? And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the glory that he did not seek, he has received. One, because it was his to begin with, he is God. All of the glory and honor is already his. But because of what he has done, he is now being exalted and glorified above every name. That is because it is by no other name that we can be saved. Right? That's exactly what Peter said, right, when confronted um, in the book of Acts. So verse uh, four, chapter 4, verse 12, 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Because no one else can do what he did, right? No one else can live that perfect life and fulfill that sacrifice on our behalf because he's God. He's the only one that can do that. Now, uh, pulling that off, right? Again, uh, we are called to follow Christ's example, um, uh, knowing that we're never going to reach that level of perfection in this life, but we still strive to be more like him each day. But if I even look at some of the other examples in history, right, what the disciples of Christ did, that's still intimidating to me. So take a look at some of these examples. Um, Just in the very next chapter, Acts 5, starting in verse 40, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, ouch. How do they respond to that? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were celebrating. That is mind-boggling, right? You've just been beaten and you're going to rejoice. How, how do you have that kind of perspective? Turning the page again, we see in Acts chapter 7, right? Stephen is stoned. Right? He gives them a little history lesson, reminding them this has all been leading to Christ, and ends his sermon with, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, You always resist resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. As you can imagine, they weren't too happy about that. Um, And they stoned him to death. Right? But... Again, look at his response to this. Uh, Skipping down a few verses. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This kind of response isn't just found right hear what the disciples did. We see this throughout history. Take William Tyndale, for example. He illegally translated the Bible into English so that others could read it. He also publicly denounced Henry VIII's divorce as unbiblical, and for his efforts, he was martyred. And yet, as he was dying, his final words were, Lord, open the eyes of the king. Wow. How do all of the, these right, rock stars of the faith, how do they do that? How do they seem to all have the same mind, living as if they're in one spirit? Wait a second. That's what we've been talking about this whole time, right? Being of one mind, the mind of Christ. That is what binds them all together. They are united in Christ. And that is how they go through all of this. That's how we can go through this life, right? How we can endure suffering, how we can uh, 
comfort each other through grief, how we can live united, how we can be that one, right? the kind of unity that Christ calls us to. So, to live is Christ. What does that mean? Summarize, right? means that we have unity in him who is truth, right? That unity must depend on truth. We do not uh, worship oneness, right? This is not about putting unity above all else, but it's about putting Christ above all else, and that is what ties us together. The unity comes from that. Right? So if there's right, someone in the church who starts going astray, saying things that don't line up with the Bible, we pull them back. We pull them back to the Word of God and say, you know what? nope, this is where we stay unified. Uh, we're unified through Him, right? and we hold to Him, and that is where our unity comes. And we press toward the same goal, right? to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and doing what he has commanded us to do, to love the Lord our God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is achieved, right, through humility in service to God by serving others. So, as we do this, right, remember to live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Hold us together in unity, that we may be a sign to this world that this life is not all that there is, uh, that we can have a full life in you. We come together today uh, in communion, an act of unity as the body of Christ, uni united with you and with each other. Give us strength as we go out to shine your light to this dark world that so desperately needs you. In Jesus' name.